Hello and welcome back to another episode of her Gypsy Soul podcast, The Stories That Bind Us. My name is Jacqueline Van Birk. I am your host and I'm wearing a silly hat today because I'm having a bad hair day. So I'm a singer, songwriter, artist, music producer, and just a lover of life and adventure. I love speaking to people. We all have a story to tell and sometimes people feel like they are insignificant or they are not important or they are boring. And let me tell you, you have a story in you too, even if you may think you don't. So it's so important for us to connect via storytelling because we are so much more alike than we are different. And I keep saying that because it is the truth. We may have all these differences, but in reality, we have so many more things in common. We all have the same goals. We all want to live a happy, fulfilling life, follow our passion, our dreams, and our purpose. And that is really what life is all about. You know, I think we sometimes get so caught up in, in things that seem so big that are really small. Um, so let's focus on our goals and our dreams and how we can really make life a better, a better life for not just for us, but for the people around us, you know, um, there's such a limited time here on this earth that we have. So why not enjoy and do what we love? Because life is just too short. That's why it's a gypsy soul podcast. With no further ado, I want to introduce my guest for today. She is someone I've been following for a long time and I've admired for so long because she's gone through a lot of shit um, in all areas of her life. Um, love, health crisis, and really trying to live her dream and putting everything on hold to take care of someone else. And that is just, you can tell that a person like that is just so such a giving selfless person and sometimes you lose yourself in that and that's kind of what happened to her and coming back to life like a lotus just like coming back blossoming better than ever um more beautiful than ever inside out it's just so inspiring to me to have her on this podcast to share her story about her joy bug about her career as a musician and her soon life totally being free from um, being stuck in an apartment, just like living the life that we all aspire in one way or another, right? We all have dreams and she is doing it. And I so admire that. So with no further ado, here is the amazingly talented and inspiring Ange Granieri. Hey Ange, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Oh my God. I am so excited to have you on because you have been such an inspiration to me for so long. I've been following you and I've followed your journey and man, you are like a survivor, a thriver, <laughs> a doer, you know, a dreamer and, and, but a doer, you know, I'm just blown away by everything you've gone through and, and what you've accomplished. And so I'm actually happy that it took this long to speak to you and have you on the podcast because you've come even further than, yeah. than you know, you've been. And I, I, come, I complimented you before we started recording, but your hair is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think there's, do you think there's some limit to how long this can get before it's, before it's not okay anymore? Do you think I can just keep growing it? Because I want to grow it about four more inches. Grow it, girl. <laughs> grow it. It's just awesome. 
you know i figured keep keep the hair as wild as wild keep the as hair my, wild. my heart it, it, yeah. exactly. it matches your spirit and your heart it just keep it going yeah. thank you now you know you have to remind me because i don't remember how long have we been you know in touch with each other i mean how many years has it been you know so i official i mean we've met we've known each other for a while through ca uh, taxi music but then I, yeah right i saw you again at the taxi road rally that we got to talk about you actually had to leave and that was a big thing you know where i was like oh my god i never even got a chance to i think we just met but we didn't really get a chance to really to you talk know, or have her, yeah discuss anything about. yeah and that was 2013 so no way yeah oh my god it's been that long Jeez. I haven't been to the rally since 2013. Wow. I know. You know what? Uh, so I would love to have you share some of that story. I know that was a pretty intense story. So I leave it up to you how much you want to share about that. Um, because, you know, you were you were about to actually go and live in a van and tour and do that was your dream. And you stopped uh, everything because something tragic happened in your life and you put everything on hold for a person. Um, and I get chills thinking about that because, you know, that was just intense, but then oh. you had an extreme health journey. You went through like some really extreme health issues. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you blew doctors away by, That's by your true. transformation. And I would love to talk about those things as well as the joy bot, because you just, <laughs> you know, you're just such a badass, you know? Oh, you're going to like, this is like, this is going to, I'm going to ride this high, the coattails of this high for, you know, for yeah. a couple of weeks. <laughs> because, <laughs> Maybe that's why you said we're going to need part two, because there's, there's, I, there's, I a, think so. it goes back a long way. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We probably need a part two because I, yeah, <laughs> there's just so much to talk about, but share a bit about, about your journey. And you're also very talented singer songwriter musician performer um so you know again you you've been faced with challenges like all of us this year because that's that was your bread and butter you know performing um yeah so tell us about the journey so far <laughs> and your crazy you know whatever you want to share because i know some things may not be you know how easy to share no i mean i'm i'm a most people who know me know that I'm I'm a really public person and the reason why I'm really open in public is because I deeply believe that we are all joined together by not to make this sound macabre but we are all joined together through our through our suffering and we often think that what we're going through is a very singular experience but when we share our trials like I've been very very open about the issues that I I suffered through as a result of what we're going to be discussing, you know, with mental illness issues and with my, with my physical health, I'm very open with it. And I, I don't feel embarrassed to talk about it because there's a lot more people than you realize that are struggling with those things. And the more we normalize it and make it something that we can openly discuss, the more, the, the less alone people will feel and the more connected we'll be. So I don't mind sharing really almost Absolutely. anything. Yes, I always talk about that, the mental health issue, because people, you know, still have a hard time just like admitting that. And we all, we all in one way or another deal with it. And it's important oh, yeah. to talk about that. That's the only way to heal and, and to, to get through this, you know? For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, well, I guess, I guess really 
I have this plan to write a memoir when Joybug is finished and we'll, we can talk about Joybug later, but Joybug, a lot of people who've stumbled upon my journey in the last three years, they've gotten to know Joybug, who's my 1974 Argosy that I've been restoring myself. But what they don't really realize is that Joybug is actually connected to, she has a backstory that's kind of like the, like if, if, if anything, the restoration of Joybug is almost the epilogue to the story, which most people don't really realize. So, <clears throat> um, Back when we met in 2013, like you said, I was I was kind of at um, the precipice of my career at the time. Um, my my boyfriend and bandmate, who I'd been kind of on and off again dating since I was in, well, we dated sort of in high school, and then we split up, and then we reconnected in my late 20s. Um, we had just split a few months prior and speaking of mental health issues um he struggled with a lot of people don't know this either but he struggled very much with with addiction and mental health issues and our relationship had always been very passionate but pretty toxic and pretty abusive um we had split a few months before i went to that taxi road rally and that was the first time that i tried to kind of get control of my life again and i had worked my tail off i'd sold all of my things and i had this dream i was going to live on the road. I had this nomad spirit. So I had purchased this uh, 1991 road trek, which is a class B RV. And actually, when I came to that road rally in 2013, I had finished this record that had been kickstarted through my fans. I'd raised $15,000 through my fan base to record this record. It had been recorded by um, this Grammy Warbring producer in Arizona. And like everything was just about felt like it was about to happen. And I flew to Los Angeles to go to that road rally tax the taxi road rally and for those listening that don't know what taxi is you know it's it's an it's an independent sort of organization that helps musicians who are you know trying to get into the music business with publishing and songwriting and so on and so forth so i went to los angeles for this convention which i had been to six or seven years in a row at that time yes. and i was supposed to, to uh, leave the convention fly to indiana purchased the RV, which I'd already paid most of the money already for. I had one deposit left to make to this old couple that were selling it to me and then drive it to New Jersey. I was already homeless. I'd sold everything and I was going to go on the road. I even had at that convention, some meetings set up with um, producers and different executives from NTV and the CW network and everything was great. Um, but on the second night of the rally, uh, my ex-boyfriend who, as I had said, you know, it was not a healthy relationship at all, but it was like my first love and we'd been connected since high school. Um, I found out that he had relapsed and gotten hit by a car and he had sustained a traumatic brain injury. And they told me that he was, um, was brain dead on the phone. So I thought he was gone and I asked if they would keep him on life support till I could get there. And so I vanished from the road rally that night. I don't know if you remember me playing. I remember that. Show. Yeah, I remember that clearly. It's weird. Like, I, yeah. yeah. I remember that too. That was one of those moments in my life because it was, I was just, um, I felt, I felt, I never felt so in my spirit and out of my body in my entire life as I did in that moment when I was playing that song. I didn't even feel like I, like like human. I didn't even feel in my body at all when I, I got up and played at that open mic. And it was so bizarre that I I remember crying on the bathroom floor with Elise Black, who's an, another really great singer-songwriter. And 
I kept saying over and over again, I need to perform, I need to perform. It was the oddest thing that that was what mattered to me. Um, really strange. Um, but I needed to do it. And they bumped me up in the line and had me, I sang this song called One Thing and, and dedicated it to him. And that was the last time that I played my original music for five years. It wow. died. It was gone. Like it wow. was, it was like snuffed out when I took my hands off the keys that night. I didn't play my original music for five years. So, yeah. So let me know if I'm just going on and on and on. Can always no. interrupt. <laughs> no, this is, this is just mind blowing. You know what happened? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, so I changed my plans. Um, I flew to Florida and when I got there, he, I guess his family had misunderstood and he was not brain dead. He, he had horrific brain damage, but he was on life support and they didn't know if he would live, but he wasn't brain dead. And I just, um, uh, I don't know how to explain it except to say that I, I felt this compulsion the same way that I have felt this compulsion to complete this Airstream to uh, be at his side. It was um, in the beginning, of course, understood by my family and friends because they knew I loved him and it didn't look like he was going to make it. But uh, within, I don't know, I guess a, a week or something like that, uh, I was... I was in the hospital room one night with him and I felt him squeeze my hand and uh, something happened to me. I don't really know what it was. I tell people I was like part of a miracle, but it seemed like I was the only person who could rouse him in any way. And even though I have no background in neuroscience, no background in physical therapy, I'm like a very, very deep empath. And so for some reason that I'll never fully understand, I was able to um, connect with him. And once I realized I had that power to do that, I don't know, I just moved into the hospital. Um, I lived in the hospital for 45 days uh, and I just lived on a cot there. And at this time he was, um, uh, they called it locked in syndrome, but basically he, you know, he couldn't speak. Uh, he couldn't, he had no control over his body in any way. He was like a little baby, like an infant. They had to move wow. him on a Hoyer lift. And, and um, I just started like, I just started basically memorizing everything that the therapist would do and then doing it with him when they weren't there. And, you know, that story alone, just taking care of him could go on and on and on. But the long and long and short of it is, um, I, I fought to become his legal guardian and they granted it to me. And the, the, the uh, judge said that only 2% of any of those cases are given to people who are not blood relatives or, or spouses. And for five years, I poured myself into bringing this guy back to life, basically. Wow. Wow. Yeah. With the same passion that I put into Joybug, like I put into that. I really believed that this was our second chance and we were going to be this fairy tale story. And and I was very public about that journey and I was very selective about what I shared. 
So without me realizing it, it kind of took on a life of its own. And a lot of people who followed the story, who knew nothing of his past or of our past, just saw this sort of miraculous love story. And it kind of grew wings and got away from me. And people didn't really realize how unbelievably difficult it was or that as he continued to come back around and as I poured myself into this, I mean, I was full-time nurse. I I just devoured neuroscience the way that I have with this restoration of joy bug. I learned everything I could. He went through five, five brain surgeries and he went from like being in a Hoyer lift and not being able to speak to, you know, I helped him learn how to, you know, how to write his letters, how to read, how to cook an egg, how to tie a shoe, how to do a load of laundry. And um, what they didn't realize was once he started to come back around, I thought because he had been become very childlike, I had thought that the darkness was gone and that even though he was gonna be a different version of himself that we would have this sort of altered relationship but I was still so in love with him, but that was not the case. And as he started to come more around, the darkness came back, all the mental health issues came back and they were coupled with traumatic brain injury issues as well. And uh, it, was, it was really like living in hell. I mean, it was, it was really, really unbelievably difficult. And I had successfully isolated myself from everyone basically, um, or they'd isolated themselves from me. So uh, as the time went on, I didn't even really realize that I was suffering physically and mentally. I knew I'd put on a lot of weight. I knew I was having health issues, but I was so consumed with caregiving. Anyone that's been a caregiver will tell you it's, it's all consuming that I, uh, that I didn't really see what was happening. In fact, after this was all over and I was in therapy, um, I realized much, much later that I had never even grieved him because I had jumped into the role so fast and it was so consuming that I, I just sort of became this magnificent robot. I really didn't feel anything about it until it was over. Um, and I just kind of got swept up in, in all of that. So that was, that was from 2013 until, I guess it was four years, 2013 until 2017. Wow. Yeah. And wow. I didn't, oh, and I, I the, the road track, I sold the road track and we spent that on his, uh, on his recovery. And, um, but it was, I have to say, you know, it was also an amazing time. I mean, I, I got to be a part of this amazing community and I met so many folks in the brain injury community. I didn't know anything about brain injury beforehand. And I met so many amazing warriors and all these amazing caregivers. I got to speak publicly. I had this blog with thousands of people who would read and share my posts. And, and I, interestingly enough, towards the end of our relationship, had this dream that we would resurrect this whole idea of being nomads, but we would live on the road together and we would speak publicly. It was like, I couldn't shake that itch, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, But the music was gone. I mean, I still worked professionally where I could here and there, it was very hard to do. We mostly lived on social security and, but I didn't create anything. Like I didn't write any music. So basically you lost yourself, you know? Yeah, Yeah. it was, it was the, the worst of it really came after I made the decision to leave and I left because he, um, 
uh, he had returned to, to using drugs and alcohol and that had always been my bottom line with him, which he knew. Um, but it was more than that. I think it was like, um, I started to like recognize that I had some sort of bounds or a limit that like, I never really thought I had, yeah. but it actually got much worse after I left than, than before, because it took us eight months to sort of transition. I didn't want to just, um, leave. And honestly, this is part of the miracle of the story. I probably would have, I probably, not trying to be dramatic, I probably wouldn't be here today if not for the kindness of a friend who was really almost an acquaintance at the time. She was someone who was in both of our lives, a yoga instructor, believe it or not, who had done yoga with him. And she'd kind of become a sounding board for both of us. And at this time, when I left, I was living in a motel um, room um, and still paying for our apartment where he and where he was and still going over to take care of him it was pretty rough. And she kind of saw that I was much worse off than I realized I was. And this is how we like talk about mental illness and things like this. I didn't, I knew I was bad. I remember at this time, uh, I have very vivid memories of pouring myself like a bath and rocking in the bath with a glass of wine and telling myself I was okay over and over again while crying, but I didn't feel anything. But at the time, it's so, so normal to me that I didn't really realize how bad it had gotten, but she saw it and she offered to become his guardian and take care of him, which is even more radical than what I did because she didn't even love him or have any obligation. She just did it because she saw that I wasn't gonna make it and that I wouldn't have left him unless I knew he was gonna be in someone's hands that was a good person. Yeah. So that's the only reason I was able to get out of that situation was because, and, and then and then over the next year and a half, I watched it take her down and then she had to get out of it. Um, so, yeah. So is it all right that I'm just still talking? <laughs> you know what? It, it just shows that I feel sometimes you cannot help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. You know, it's really hard. At some, I mean, of course, at first he couldn't because he was not capable, right? But then when he started getting better, because I, I have friends too, where I'm like, man, they have issues, but sometimes people don't want to face their issues. And it doesn't matter how much you try to tell them that it's not healthy for them. Let, let's just say alcohol, alcohol and drugs, whatever, you know, but they still, they think it's okay, you know, because they function and, and they think that it's no big deal because that's their normal. And there's nothing you can do, you know? So you just have to kind yeah. of remove yourself before it affects you. And obviously you were so deep in it. Of course it had to affect you at some yeah. point, you know? Yeah, it was a, a really, really profound lesson. I mean, I thought of, um, to I poured so much of myself into this person, kind of like, I guess, a parent would a child. And like, yeah. you imagine, I mean, imagine, I mean, not quite like that, because of course it wasn't a lifetime long, but, but then when I left, I had to watch it all be undone. Um, just recently, a few months ago, now this is years later, you know, he was moved into like a long-term facility and he had gotten to calling me again. And since I'd left, like he had, his, his health had deteriorated, you know, he, like he had basically, he'd had 
because of using drugs and alcohol. He'd had some seizures, his speech was slurred. He was in a wheelchair again. It's like, I watched everything that I had done kind of get reversed. And if I haven't, hadn't grown as much as I have as a person, that would be, um, I would go back into some like really bad behaviors. But I know now what you just said, which is that um, it was my father actually who said to me, like right towards the end of all of this, that there's a difference between uh, helping someone and being a martyr. And he said, you know, if you're, if someone's in the water and they're, they're drowning and they're asking for help and you throw them a life preserver and they can't grip it and you jump in the water to help them and you go down with them, that's different than you throwing a life preserver to someone and they're them tossing it away and you throw yourself in the water anyway um, and go down, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so basically towards the end of, towards the end of all of this, um, I was, I guess, looking back what they call like passively suicidal. I wasn't like, um, I, I didn't have exactly like any, any, any sort of real active thoughts or anything like that. I just remember it was Christmas time. I was living in the motel. And just to give you some more info, I was like 240 pounds wow. and I used to have a really bad issue with um, with binge eating. So this was def definitely something that was way out of control at this point. So I would just kind of go to the store and get these, these massive binges and I would lay them out on the, the bed in the motel and plan them out. And I was gaining weight so fast that I, I could actually see like fresh stretch marks almost weekly on my body. I was just in a really, really bad way. And um, I remember just driving down uh, the Ocean City Bridge at Christmas time and there are Christmas carols on the radio and I remember just thinking how nice it would be to just kind of drive into the ocean and how like how the cold water would just come over me and it would be so warm and like that's kind of what I mean it gave me such insight into people who do take their lives or struggle with um, suicidal you know um, thoughts because I didn't think of myself as suicidal um, it took a long time for me to realize I was suicidal looking back. I just was so in such a, such a bad mental place that it was so normal and everything was so covered with this gray film. You know, it just felt like choking on tar, like in, in this pit that things like thoughts like that, just driving into the ocean just sounded nice. Like it, but I, I didn't really care one way or the other kind of if it happened. So, um, so that was kind of the summer, the winter of 2016, 2017, that's how that was. And again, like I really wasn't making any music. I was kind of at my lowest point, but I continued still communicating with him and trying to do this transition. And then uh, we're almost to the end of, of, the, of the awful story, but it all kind of came to a head in the summer of 2017, one month before I bought the Joy Bug actually. <laughs> um, it was June, and uh, I write about I wrote about this on the page of my blog, which I never write on my blog anymore, and I should. But um, but uh, looking back, I had all the signs of someone who was like about to have a nervous breakdown, but again, like didn't know what that was. And what was happening was I was when I would engage with him in any way, I would start to have 
like noise and sound and light sensitivity um, and like extreme like tightness in my chest. And this was happening for a long time and getting worse, but I didn't really recognize it. And then one morning um, I was sitting in my room and suddenly the birds outside were so loud that I couldn't like handle it. Like I had to hold my hands over my ears. Um, and I could smell everything in the room. Uh, the hairs on my arms stood up and I could feel every single hair. Um, I always say now this was like my, basically my, my soul and my mind and soul finally getting so loud that they overwhelmed my body. Like they were shouting, finally shouting at me. Um, <clears throat> I ran to my therapist's office because I'd been seeing a therapist for just a few weeks and I told her what was happening. And it was like, um, I was mildly sort of hallucinating, but basically it was like the, the filter in your brain that allows you to just listen or see things that are necessary for a conversation or in the moment. Like right now in this room, there's hundreds of sounds and things happening that my brain is just filtering out and choosing not to listen to. But in this situation, I could hear everything. I could, and it felt like I was being assaulted, like um, like it was on a bad drug trip or something, but I've never done drugs. Um, so I went to the emergency room and they gave me like something to calm me down. And I just remember when the needle went into my arm, I screamed like, I was on fire because the needle felt like it was the most intense thing I ever felt in my life. Oh my God. And late, yeah, it was, it was like someone was cutting off my arm. I mean, it was the most painful thing ever. And what I learned later, and this is all really tied to joy bug was that the limbic system, like in my brain had, which is the part of your brain that basically like is the fight or flight area of the brain was, you know, it gets stimulated when we are in danger. But if you are constantly and regularly in a situation where that is stimulated, um, it can become through abuse and through trauma and all of this, it can become so um, overwhelmed and overstimulated that it just goes haywire. And so basically I stopped having the ability to filter out anything. Um, and I had to go home for several weeks and kind of live in a dark room with earplugs and an eye mask and my mother came and took care of me. I couldn't even hear a voice. I couldn't, it, it just hurt my brain so much to have any stimuli, yeah, at all. So it wasn't an actual nervous breakdown, but because of the mild hallucinations and the things that were happening, the doctor said it was like, a, um, what did he say? Uh, I, I can't remember now, but basically it was like, a severe depression, oh, temporary psychosis, <laughs> temporary, I'm laughing, temporary psychosis um, induced by severe depression, uh, which when he told me that I was severely depressed, I argued with him that I wasn't depressed at all. Um, and he wanted to medicate me and I said, I wasn't depressed at all. It's so funny looking back now because I was, I was in such a bad way, but I just couldn't see it, you know? Um, so that was kind of, probably the, the day that Patrick got hurt, the day that I bought Joybug and the day that I had that breakdown are probably the three biggest, most life changing days of my, of my existence here on planet earth.
because that was the day that I realized that I was not um, like Supergirl, and that my spirit. Hi, my cat wants to be in the wants to be here. Come here, baby. Oh my this goodness! She, this way she won't make noise. Oh, he's <laughs> so cute. Yeah, and actually, this this is actually the cat that I purchased. I purchased. This is the cat that I adopted for my ex. Um, she just, I got I got her for him in 2015, and when we split up, I let her keep him, even though I always loved her. But um, he couldn't keep her anymore, so she came back to me in October, which is even even odder. So we're reunited, which is yes. Oh, she's yeah. adorable. I know she, she's a love. <laughs> My daughter's yeah. be like, who are you talking to? <laughs> she's very she's she's a special needs. She's deaf, so she's very loud. She mouths oh, and howls and makes a lot of noise. Um, so that was the day that I realized that I I had bounds and my spirit had bounds, my body had bounds. I couldn't just give and give and give and give and go and go and go. I couldn't just sustain years and years and years and years and years of mental and emotional and um, psychological abuse and just be okay, which is really what I thought because I had been okay. Something like broke and I never went back. Like there's a limit now since that day and if I get under like a super amount of stress, I have like techniques and things that I do, but I can feel that threshold there. Um, I don't say that I struggle with mental illness because I don't anymore. I'm, I'm actually in a really great mental place, but there's something that switched that day in my brain. It's probably like literally like scar tissue in there or something. I don't really know. They call it storming. And, um, and I have limits now that I that I respect and honor so it, it was a hard lesson to learn and um, that coupled with the notion that I had poured all this time and energy into this human and that ultimately like you said I, I couldn't force him I could care about him and I could make a lot of things possible through that love but I couldn't make him love himself yeah. and <laughs> even more hard to um, accept was a lot of the energy that I was pouring into him, I wasn't comfortable pouring into myself. And one thing that a lot of people who are natural caregivers or people who naturally try to save other people, a lot of times those are people who are uncomfortable looking at the darkness of themselves. And that was something I also learned. It's very easy to focus on another person. But when I had to actually over the next chapter of my life, which was the joy bug chapter, when I had to actually go into those dark areas and examine how I had gotten to the point that I had gotten to, wanting to drive into the ocean, 85 pounds overweight, living in a motel and having almost a breakdown, like how did I get there? And it wasn't just taking care of him. It was a lifetime of experiences that, that kind of, you know, that was the, the big gigantic example of little things I'd been doing my whole life. Once I actually had to go there and look at all of that, that was, that was, the hardest work of my life that was really really difficult but but it was essential to breaking the cycle and ultimately being a healthy person and you know so so that's that whole experience all of that um led up to uh the month of july 2017 when i I woke up one morning and I said, I 
I still want to be nomadic. I still want to make music. I still, I couldn't feel like I couldn't write anything still. I still couldn't go near the piano, but I felt it itching in me. And I started researching like schoolies and wanting to maybe redo a schoolie, but I went away from that because they're hard to insure. And, but, but, um, <laughs> but I was in my, I was in a therapy session one day and I was talking to my therapist and she was telling me about the, the changes that had happened in me and how I was making progress. And I told her, I didn't see any of the progress. I didn't see any of the changes. And she said, you're an artist and you create things. And I think what you need is you need some physical project that you can work on that's solely yours and you can see the progress outwardly somehow connected to like the progress inward. You need something to like build. Love that. And uh, yeah. And in this time that she and I were talking, I had kind of fallen in love with Airstreams. Once I, I didn't know what they were before, but once I stumbled upon them, I just fell in love with everything about them. What is Airstreams? So Air, Airstream, so Airstream is the company that my joy bug is an Argosy Airstream. Oh, so Argosy gotcha, by gotcha. Airstream. Gotcha. So Airstreams are the, they're these, they're these, you know, travel trailers that are unlike basically any other travel trailers that exist. They're they're made like airplanes from aluminum and rivets and um, they're not held together, you know, with, uh, you know, part particle board and whatever these, these other travel trailers are made from. And they look like, you know, submarines um, or airplanes without wings. And I had kind of fallen in love with them, the nostalgia of them. I love that they, you know, most of them that have ever been created are still on the road today. I loved just the cool factor of it. And when I stumbled upon Argosies, which are these Airstreams that were made just for a few years in the 70s, and they're painted, I fell in love even more because Argosies were considered experimental at the time. The company was kind of experimenting with ideas they wanted to put on the real Airstreams. So they were kind of like the little you know, look down upon brother, like the, the, the Airstream that like someone with less money would buy. And I don't know, like I, I love something about that. So one day I was, I was uh, driving a couple of hours north of here through New Jersey. And I saw this Argosy on the side of the road. Um, and uh, I, I stopped by and asked if I could take a look at it. There was a for sale sign, which many people on the Airstream page know this whole story of Turkey Bob, who was the guy that I bought the <laughs> Airstream from. This is a whole nother story. <laughs> and um, uh, I just, when I, when I saw it, I knew that this was like going to be my project. And I remember, I didn't buy it that day, but I remember sitting with my brother the following week in a dark room while I was trying to like, you know, manage my symptoms. And he said, you know, maybe this isn't the time for adventuring and restoring an airstream. And maybe this is the time for like stability and calm and like getting your feet under you. And like, I remember thinking that's exactly like what I'm trying to do, but I'm doing it in a way that's not conventional or easy to understand so so I bought Joybug. 
I, in my mind, thought that I was going to restore her in three months and be on the road. Uh, and that was three and a half years ago. <laughs> oh, my. The things I would say to my, to my, my younger self, my 2017 self. Now, I had no business buying this thing. I, I am a musician. I... The people on the Airstream forum pages laugh oftentimes because they remember my first post was that I didn't know how to use, I had this girly pink drill I'd gotten off Amazon. It was a joke of a drill. It's like a drill for hanging a shelf in your house. <laughs> it's all it's good for. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to get the chuck unstuck. I didn't know anything about torque. I didn't understand anything. And I'm asking how to use the drill. And I remember people on that forum commenting and being like, girl, cut your losses, sell this thing, and you will never, ever do this, ever. Like people who are carpenters and electricians, they struggle with this. You have no skills. You don't know how to use a drill. You will never do this, like walk away. But if anyone, anyone who knows me knows that like when I make my mind up to do something, I cannot be shaken i have this bizarre sort of like yes. i put blinders on like the horses in central park and i don't see anything else i don't hear you for good or bad i don't know if it's good or bad sometimes i should take people's advice but i i just i just felt that same compulsion that drew me to him in florida that night i felt it again with this with this airstream i think I think, you know, from my own experience, I think that, yes, it's good to, to hear people's opinions sometimes, but you always got to follow your, your intuition because yeah. you just know when you know it's right for you because other people just like give you advice of their experience, you know, and of what they see. But when you really think that I can do this, I'm going to find a way, I'm going to make this happen, you will, and you, 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 you did it, you know? So yeah, congratulations to that, to not listening to other people, because how many times have you, what if you missed out on so many amazing things, if you would have listened to other people, you know, or don't invest in that, that, or don't, don't play that show, it doesn't pay. And then you met like some producer or whatever, you know, like some super fan. Yeah. So it's don't like, travel, don't travel through the Middle East alone. Don't, exactly. all these things that I'm like, no, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's just, you have to sometimes just do it and not listen to other people. Yeah, I mean, there. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I don't really like to call them mistakes, but I've, I've, you know, I've done things that I, um, I've made choices that I wish sometimes I hadn't made. But one thing I am proud to say is like I've, I've always been someone who follows her heart. Um, sometimes you know it would be better if my head led the way, but I definitely am not that way. It's whatever my heart is leading me towards, I go towards that thing, whether that thing is logical or sensible or not. And actually on the front of my Airstream Joybug, there's a stained glass porthole window, which uh, a lot of folks it. are very excited about. That. It's just yeah. badass. It's so awesome. And I love it too. <laughs> Although it's like trying to install it yesterday, I was like cursing like a sailor. It was, it was it was just driving me crazy, but I mean, that's the whole project. Everything always drives me crazy. But, um, but the, the design for that porthole that I created is a heart compass. And the reason why I did a heart compass for the porthole is because um, I, you know, I want 
people to know that joy bug is a symbol of following your heart literally and figuratively. So when I'm on the road, I'm following my heart, but also she is an example of following my heart. And frankly, taking care of my ex was also following my heart. I mean, um, I can't get those years back and I can't change the outcome, but my desire to give him a second chance, I wanted to give him a second chance to make a different choice. And I did give him a second chance and he made the same choice and I can't change that. But I'm proud that I, I poured my life with love into, even if it was misplaced, I'm, I'm glad I, I poured it into, into someone I cared about and trying to give them, you know, give them a, a second chance because otherwise he would have just been vegetative looking at a TV screen the rest of his life and, and he would never have had that chance. Yeah. And I know I would want someone to do that for me if I were in that circumstance. Um, so, so uh, when Joybug came home, uh, she was in she was in pretty good aesthetic shape, and my plan was kind of just to do like a spit and polish sort of thing, make sure the electrical was still okay, and and then leave that end of that summer, 2017. Um, but uh, as I sort of peeled away layers to sort of fix things, I realized that there was a lot of things that needed fixing, and before I knew it you know, the thing was gutted down to the frame and it had to be like a show off restoration. But uh, in this process though, um, I tried using uh, contractors to do the work. And if you are active in the Airstream community, what you'll find is there's a reason why everyone does it themselves because you can't just take these Airstreams to contractors. Like I said, they're really built like airplanes so you kind of need a very specific skill set and so it became apparent that I was going to have to do it myself if I wanted to do it and, and yeah and that ended up being a huge blessing because I was somebody who I started to um I didn't continue seeing my therapist for that much longer after that um, because I felt very much like I could continue on my own. But I saw her for like another six months or so. And I started to, um, I don't know how to explain it except to say I couldn't work on myself just as myself. But by making the trailer an extension of myself, I could work on myself by working on the trailer. Yeah. So when I was gutting it and power washing it in February and welding the frame and, 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 and getting it like in building strong bones, like there, and, and in the process, you know, like <laughs> bleeding and cutting myself open and scarring. And there was something about it that was extremely therapeutic. And it pulled me in to the point where I knew that I could not close the book on my ex and that part of my life until this trailer was complete. And whether that was wise or not, I don't know because it's three and a half years later and it's not finished, but I ended up going on this epic journey. And like you said, if you look at pictures like um, on my Facebook page or my Instagram of what I looked like when the project started and what she looked like when the project started, she meaning Joybug, we were kind of like these two ladies with good bones who had been completely neglected. She'd been left down in the rain for two decades and she had mold and 
you know, mouse poop in the walls and the wiring was faulty and the paint job was bad. And like, I was, you know, super heavy and I had all these health issues. I had high cholesterol and high blood pressure and pre-diabetes and non-alcoholic fatty liver. And like, I had, it was 85 pounds overweight. And for whatever reason, working on her made, it made it more easy for me to work on myself. And like you said, I started to really peel away these layers. And, and as I started to like greet and embrace the darkness and the things that had happened to me in my past that had made it possible for me to end up in such an abusive situation, suddenly I realized like I had a voice. I realized that like I was an empath. I realized that I needed boundaries. And, and even my therapist said, which was brilliant, she taught me the concept of healthy boundaries by using Joybug as well. She said to me, um, up until that point, she said, you've lived your life like your body and soul are an open house. Windows are open, door is open, skylight is open. Anyone can come through the house anytime they want. They can stay as long as they want. You don't screen them. And so that's what it is. It's like a bus station. Anyone comes, good people come, bad people come. They take what they want. They leave when they want. You're just kind of filleted open. And she said, you don't want to live in a house where everything is locked and shut. All the doors are shut. The windows are shut. The skylight is shut. You know, you don't want to live that way. So you're in control. You know, you want to open whatever windows suit you. You get to choose who comes in. So she told me when you're working on the trailer, treat the trailer like you would like your soul. So go inside the trailer, close all the windows and doors, and then you decide like who gets to come in that space. You open the windows when you know you want a little more air in, close them, see how that feels. And so I was really selective about who would get to come in the trailer. And nobody knew that this was happening. Like no one knew it was this deep for me, but it was. I even like wrote poetry on the inside of the skins what was that poem that I wrote? Um, oh God. I wrote this short poem, four lines on the interior skin of the trailer, which is hidden now by the insulation and the exterior skin. I love uh, that. I think it was within these cold ribs, this dead shell, uh, my wild heart beats like the wings of a lark, ready to be boundless and finally free, I think was what it said. I wrote it. I wrote it in paint. <laughs> I wrote it in paint and I was naked in the trailer. So it was like, I went in the trailer, stripped all my clothes off. I got this can of paint and a paintbrush and I just painted this poem on the interior walls. It's, it's been a really intense sort of spiritual journey for me with this, with this trailer. I actually worry if something ever happens to it, I'm not going to be okay. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that so much. It's it's so it resonates so much with what you were saying and and how to deal with your pain and how to heal, and and to throw put yourself into. I love. I just love it. It's so beautiful. Me too. It was it, a huge a yeah. huge blessing for me. It it really, it really, it, it also put people in my life that that challenged me with having a voice which challenged me with advocating for myself. I could advocate for my ex, I head to head with doctors, calling insurance companies, 
doing anything I had to do to get him the care I needed. But if it was for myself, couldn't do it. Yeah. And I was faced with contractors and, you know, people that I had to engage in this way and, and all these muscles having to be grown that I just didn't have as in my skill set. Um, and while all that was happening, like we said, I, I started to fuel my body. I changed, you know, to a, um, it's called a nutritarian diet, but it's like a, a diet basically of unrefined plant food. And, um, and I, over the course of that time, I've been working on the trailer. I underwent a physical manifestation as well. And I lost the 80 pounds. Um, I cleared up all of my health conditions. I don't have any of those health conditions anymore. And people who see me from those days that I took care of him can't believe that I'm, what is it? It's almost, it's 2021. It was over 20. I mean, five, it was five years ago and I'm, people will see me and they say, you know, you look younger than when you were taking care of, taking care of him. And, uh, it's because I'm taking care of me, you know, and, and I never took care of me. And once I learned how to use my voice and speak my truth, uh, which I had always bit my tongue in my relationships because I wanted to keep peace. I didn't want to wage war with any words I would say. Right. But I realized that I was waging war against myself. I wasn't keeping peace. I, it wasn't do no harm. I was harming. I just wasn't harming others. I was harming myself. Yes. And once I learned how to speak, the issues I had with food and binge eating and all of that, you know, it all disappeared. I haven't had that issue in years and years and years. And that was an issue I had from puberty until it was very bad at the very end because I was in such turmoil. But I'd struggled with that my whole life since, since puberty, since 12 or something, and it was gone. So, um, it's really been, uh, it's really been a tremendous, um, tremendous journey up until this point. And, you know, um, most people who, who know about the joy bug journey, they, they just think it's this pretty cool story that this woman who had no business restoring a trailer took it on, but they don't know that, the trailer is so much more than a trailer to me. I and I, I'm trying to create like something that is livable, functional art so that when she's on the road, she's a beacon, you know, of hope for people to know that there's life on the other side of whatever they're going through. Yeah. Are you planning on making that your permanent home? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's that is... <clears throat> In my, I, I don't know exactly how to manifest it yet, but that's the goal too, because I think in this crazy time we live in, uh, the off-grid living sounds just so attractive. <laughs> and oh, I, lo I love it. I love the idea of it. Yeah. And not being tied to one place and, and rent and, you know, all the, all these reliances on, on, you know. Yeah. It's not, for, it's never been for me. This is the third time in my life that this will be the third time in my life that I sold all my things and tried to be nomadic. There was a, a, a first time. Second time was the time I told you about, this will be the third time. So it calls to me. I think it's the combination of in all the traveling I've done in my life, which has mostly been overseas. When I'm traveling, I feel like something jolts me awake. I feel very awake. And when I'm not traveling, I feel kind of sort of like I fall into like a sleepy sort of stupor. I'm really stagnant. It's really stagnant. Yeah, I, I just almost either yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I mean, we could talk about this for hours because 
<laughs> I, love, I love traveling. And it's actually funny. I think I read something um, on your profile where you talked about like traveling alone. I forget the quote, but I know you agree with me. When you travel alone, it is just so freeing. And I mean, I have my dog, which, you know, if you would have told me traveling with a dog, it's going to be so complicated. And so, so it's not, it's just so easy, you know, and you just yeah. like fast. But traveling, you're right. I, I need. I, I. That's all I want to do: make music and travel. You know, because I think that just so. Oh my God! While well, we have life, you know, enjoy it. That's and, what I want to do too. I just, I just want to, I just want to center my life around my gifts, um, yeah. and around connecting to other people because that's my joy is connecting with others. It's what kept me alive when I was taking care of my ex was connecting with the brain injury community. It's what's kept me going with the Airstream is connecting with the Airstream community, you know, sharing my my music and my poetry and just being able to just, I love the idea of sitting around a campfire with a bunch of strangers, which I know is not everyone's bag, but I love the idea of that. And like, tell me your story. Tell me your life. Like, I want to know you, you know? Yes, yes. I love that. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And people are so much more interesting. And we, we are so much more alike than we are different, you know, because we often Absolutely. think that, oh, you know, not my type of people. And you don't know that until you talk to someone. And even if you're not on the same, you know, you don't agree, whatever, politics, religion, whatever, there's still something that brings us and, and, and you know, binds us together. It's just the way it is. You know, I want to go back to one more time about your health thing, because I know a lot of people think that. You know, once you have low, high blood pressure or once you have cholesterol, you just forever um, a slave to all the medication that your doctor is giving you. And there's no way to heal yourself. And you are living proof because I have so many, my, my mom's boyfriend, he's on so many medications, you know, and I'm like, this is just so unhealthy. It is, it is not healthy because one cancels the other and one, you know. And the side effects and then you need medication for the side effects. Well, yeah. Please tell us a bit more about that and, and let people know that you did this. You you had all these crazy symptoms and you healed yourself. Yeah, I like I said, I was pretty I was pretty sick for a 34-year-old. I was pretty sick. And um I read a book, someone gave me a book called Eat to Live. And when I was living in that motel, that was when my journey started, actually. Um, a few months before the breakdown, I was like dabbling in it and trying it. But I read it and it made perfect sense to me. I loved that it was just science-based. It wasn't really a diet book. It was, it was written by Dr. Joel Furman and he was one of the leading um, researchers of the China study, which is the largest nutritional study ever done ever. Um, and he wrote this book back in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. And it just made sense to me. Um, it made sense and it, and you know, he talks about how Americans are, you know, we're obviously one of the fattest nations in, on the earth, but we're also horribly malnourished because health comes from the nutrient density of our food divided by the calories. That's basically what makes us healthy. So if you eat something like that's incredibly nutrient dense and happens to also be low in calories, it's very difficult to be overweight. And also your body is fueled with um, not with the macros that everyone's so obsessed with, like protein, fat, and carbohydrates, but the, not the macro ingredients, but the micronutrients, the things that 
science is just beginning to understand the, the, the thousands of unnamed phytochemicals and, you know, that are, that are in plant food. So like I said, I had all those medical conditions and I dabbled in it for the first six weeks and then I went hardcore with it. And I was already, I was already in the process before I bought Joybug. Um, and absolutely completely reversed all of those conditions. One of the worst conditions that I have is, um, which is in complete remission is uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which a lot of women have. It's the number one cause of infertility and it causes um, uh, a whole host of problems. It makes you more likely to have cancer and it causes serious irregular periods and male pattern hair growth and like horrible things. And while I can't cure that condition, if I went back to eating an American diet, like it would come back, it's been complete remission for years. And uh, I mean, my, my, I don't have high blood pressure. My cholesterol is amazing. In fact, I even have a higher level of calcium now than I did when I ate um, an American diet, which is pretty hard for people to believe, but I eat so much green, dark greens and kale and spinach have a lot of calcium in them, but you need to eat large quantities to get the calcium. So I'm not eating like a handful of spinach. Like I'll eat one of those containers. You can get it like the store that's huge, like, I don't know, 12 ounces of spinach and I'll cook that and eat that in one meal. So for people who are watching or listening rather, <clears throat> who uh, believe, you know, that if you have diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, that there are lifelong conditions that you're saddled with. It's just simply untrue. Uh, the, science, the science exists so that our generation could eradicate um, cardiovascular disease, stroke, um, heart attack, um, and diabetes could, are all completely and totally preventable. You can literally like you can, you can, you can really literally prevent those things from, from, from ever happening. And I'm, I'm a testament to that because like I said, I, I started that program in March of 2017. So before years in March and, um, <clears throat> I would never, ever, ever, ever go back, ever go back. And I was someone who I was as in love with the American diet as a person can be in love. I mean, aside from my binges, I was in love, like go to an Italian restaurant, order a giant cheese platter for myself with a glass of wine, bread that you would dip in the oil. And like, I loved that. I loved it. And I don't miss it at all. Um, not even a little bit. The, what, it's amazing what the human body can do when you fuel it properly. It's literally built to regenerate and we just continually give it poison. Yes. And it still manages so well. And then finally, when a check engine light comes on, like high cholesterol or high blood pressure, which is really just your body's way of saying, like, it's an alarm system. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Usually doctors will give you medication, which then regulates it, brings your cholesterol down, your blood pressure down. Now you've basically just cut the check engine light off. Yes. Thanks, you, haven't fixed, you haven't fixed the problem. You just made the symptom go away, but that those symptoms exist because your body is so intelligent and it's trying to tell you, you know, that something is wrong. So I'm pretty passionate about it. I try not to get preachy. Like my, the people that I love in my life are not nutritarians, but a lot of them have been affected by my journey and modif 
by the way they eat. And even my ex-boyfriend who was the truest carnivore you could ever meet, um, we dated for a few years and he loved the food. He just loved the nutritarian food because it's, it's, it tastes amazing. Um, if you cook it the right way, it tastes amazing. Yeah. And uh, he was ready to basically go in that direction um, because the food just tastes so great. So I would definitely tell people that um, you're definitely, it's not a death sentence if you have those, those health issues. Um, it's one of the best things I ever did for myself, for so sure. You eat no meat, no dairy. I do, do not, I am strictly vegan, but the nutritarian diet is different than the vegan diet because vegans, as you know, like there's many kinds of vegans and there are junk food vegans and vegans eat a lot of like processed fake animal products. Um, nutritarians don't eat any of that. It would be better to eat a little bit of meat and cheese than to eat like processed fake meat products um, as, it, it, as part of the, the nutritarian way of living. Yeah. You can be a nutritarian and eat um, five to 10% of your diet could come from a very small portion of meat and cheese, but most nutritarians, because Dr. Furman is vegan and, and suggests people eat vegan just because you're going to, again, not be getting a lot of nutrient density from meat and cheese. Yeah. Uh, so I, I started off kind of dabbling a little bit still in pescatarianism or whatever, but I just, I lost the desire for any kind of animal products as I just ate these giant quantities of unrefined plant food. I just lost the taste for it. So I haven't had any in four years. And I, I, I went from a woman who was obsessed with cheese and I don't even like the smell of vegan cheese because it smells so much like cheese and cheese just smells to me now like the inside of an animal. It really does. It smells like an, smells like a, like an animal, like inside an animal. It's so funny. I, I, I loved cheese, you know? Same here. Same here. I, I, I remember like one day I said to my friend, we went to a party and I said, I'm vegan now. And I went to the party and they had all these, you know, they always have cheese and everything, crackers out. And the first thing I do sure. is go and eat the cheese. And my friend's like, what are you doing? I thought you're vegan. I'm like, oh my God, because I was so <laughs> almost addicted to cheese, you know? Yeah. They say the cheese is addictive. They say yeah. that it has some kind of some kind of uh, I forget what it is but they said they have something yeah. in it that's similar to uh, like heroin or I don't even know like it's Sounds case good. is it something in it that's that's super it's super addictive yeah I mean I but I had cystic acne I mean horrible acne my whole life I had male pattern hair growth like I grew like a beard and like I mean all kinds of my hormones are totally out of whack I had so many health issues and uh I don't, like I said, I don't preach this diet. I just tell people my experience, but I truly firmly believe that no one can be healthy without their diet, 80% of their diet coming from unrefined plant food, whatever else they eat, whatever. But I mean, yeah. basically our American culture, we eat no vegetables. And if you look up the percentage of vegetables the average American eats, it's actually skewed because the vegetables that they're eating are mostly potatoes. So even when you look up the stats on the amount of like vegetables that Americans eat, they're mostly potatoes and often in chip or fried form. So it's, I, I mean, it's very, it's very bad, you know? And I think of, I think of these times and this time of pandemic, you know, and I'm not here to say like, to ha take any kind of like stance about that. 
Um, and I, I don't think that, you know, you can literally like eat your way out of avoiding catching, you know, a virus, you know, but you can build a strong immune system so that, you know, it's not just Corona, it's everything. I mean, our medical system uh, is so burdened by the amount of like, think of the money spent on these surgeries and drugs and things that are done because people are so ill and we just don't eat uh, foods anymore. We eat Franken foods, you know, we don't eat food that's real and people are so sick as a result. I know. Um, it's it, it, so you're vegan now too yeah yeah i i will say I, i've cheated a few times i would have once about some salmon you know like here and there um don't i don't eat cheese anymore i haven't eaten eaten meat at all but like sa- once in a while i would have some fish or sushi um, yeah but i will say that um i i'm with you with the whole food industry and and People are so taught, you watch Hulu, you watch anything, TV, there's so, how many advertisements do you see for just medication all the time, all the time. It's like, nobody says, these are the things you should be doing to strengthen your immune system, do some yoga, some meditation, some deep breathing, which is right. like, so, so, so healthy for you. Right. Because Eat things that come out of the ground. <laughs> you know? And like you said yeah. earlier, like our body is meant to heal itself. But we don't give it a chance because we just and I'm I'm a little binger too. Like I've, I I have to stop myself from just putting things in my mouth because yeah because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. Sugar, no, sugar. for sure. That's why I say I'm nutritarian and not vegan because I yeah. I try to separate the two because one yeah. doesn't necessarily mean the other. I'm so with you on that, and I just feel that you know we need to really promote more healthy eating habits than just medication and saying that oh you know stay inside and and don't go outside don't get fresh air those are all essential things that help us and our body to heal itself and protect itself you know yeah my one of my best friends she's uh she's 67 and she lives in austria she's someone that i met in my travels and we talk every day and i always feel like my life is juxtaposed to her life when we talk about our day because of course she's retired but she and her husband they live like in the mountains in Austria and they're every day they hike 10 or 11 miles and I stayed with them for I guess about a week and a half when I was in Austria in 2018 and you know she we cooked together and she's not vegan but I mean there's a reason why even people who live in places like Austria, where it's harder to get fresh produce, are still healthier than we are. And it's like, even what she's eating is more real food than what people here eat. You know, she would make, um, she'd make a salad and there would be cheese and then maybe like a boiled egg and then there'd be a bunch of fruit and like that was breakfast. It's not like Pop-Tarts and cereal and waffles. And, and then like the 11 miles of hiking in nature. I mean. When was the last time you're just the average American was out in nature on a daily basis? You know, it's just very interesting. And, and of course, she's she she's much in much better shape than I am. I mean, right now, I haven't been working out, which is another whole long story. But I mean, she you know, she can hike 11 miles at 67. And then, you know, you know, folks who are 40 and they're having a heart attack. So I really believe food is it's it it's one of the most important decisions you can make on a daily basis. And Dr. Furman wrote a book recently called Fast Food Genocide, which is pretty controversial. 
Um, but it basically discusses how the fast food companies um, profit off poverty, basically, and how oh yeah, because, because fast food is so readily accessible and so yeah. cheap that yeah. poor poor people, you know, tend to lean on fast food to to feed because you if you can go to McDonald's and feed your whole family for ten bucks or something with four Happy Meals, you will. But they in this in this book they do studies that show that regular consumption of of fast food as your main food increases um, hostility, increases violence, it increases mental illness, it increases all these things. So that you could even say, which is why it's controversial, that it creates a bigger divide between the very, very poor and the middle class and the very, very rich. Because if you're eating nothing but trash all the time, it's it's just increasing the likelihood that you're going to suffer from mental illness, that you're going to, you know, um, a good friend of mine who's a nutritarian said that when she went nutritarian, she learned that depression was not her mind crying out for help, but her body crying out for, nutri- for, for, for to be fed or something. Because I experienced that also when I went nutritarian. Um, I just experienced uh, such a stabilization of my emotions and I was able to go off. I'm not saying that everyone should do this. This is just my experience. But within seven weeks, I wasn't taking any medication at any medications anymore and some medications are necessary but for me all of them were gone including the one I had been taking for my severe depression um, I felt like a cloud had just lifted once I started eating so many greens it, you know I was eating huge amounts of greens people would see my meals the portions were massive because <laughs> there's no calories you know what I'm saying like th- that's why it's magical because the portions <laughs> are huge and you're full but th- you're eating like you know, you're eating very few calories compared for the portion sizes and there's just so many nutrients. So, uh, so it was pretty, pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful stuff. I would, I would certainly never, ever, ever, ever. I know my my breakfast plate is always like huge because I, I love having salads and, you know, peppers. And when, when I look at it, I'm like, Oh my God, it looks so much, but it's, 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 not a lot no. of calories. and it's and, just- the, and nutritarians also don't eat oil or salt which is like uh, added oil or salt and the interesting thing about cutting those out of your diet is that uh it's a whole long story about how oil is a processed food and it doesn't really right. have a lot of nutrients so it's also controversial because a lot of people believe oil is like a health food but right. uh, when you stop eating salt and sugar your taste buds reset to their natural state and so um vegetables and fruit become very sweet and salty so um, what's great about it is fruit becomes kind of like candy and, and it really is pleasurable to eat it because your taste buds are just acting the way that they naturally would. Um, carrots are sweet. Sweet potatoes are sweet. Tropical fruit is extraordinarily sweet. Um, and so if I were to now like eat a piece of chocolate or, uh, something that was traditionally sweet, like a piece of candy, I would just have an instant headache and I wouldn't even be able to swallow it because the amount of, of sugar that's in that would just blow my, my, my mind, you know, yeah. so I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I also think that when people say, Oh, it's too expensive when you buy produce and all that kind of stuff, I think it really isn't, you, you can get, you can make really delicious, nutritious meals with little money. Like you said, you know, buy a big thing of spinach 
and some celery in it and some nuts and bam, you got like food for a few days, you know, that the cheapest food, the cheapest food in the supermarket is our bags of dried beans and lentils. I mean, you, you can get a bag of dried beans and lentils for two bucks and it's, those beans would last you for like six weeks or something. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot of food, you know, um, frozen vegetables are very cheap. I mean, you can get frozen vegetables for a buck or two and it's five or six meals. Fresh produce, depending on where you live, can be pricey. I mean, it depends on where you are, but, but when you cut out all the other things that you would be eating in a traditional American diet, all the, all the stuff that's all the snacking stuff and all meats, very expensive, cheese is very expensive. Um, when you cut all that stuff out, it's definitely less expensive. As long as you're not buying, it's expensive to be vegan. If you're buying a lot of vegan processed foods, they're very, very, very expensive. Just like gluten-free products are very, very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But just eating like an unrefined plant-based diet is not, it's not expensive. And I'm happy. I'm blessed to live in New Jersey. It's the garden state. And I don't spend more than 50 bucks a week on food, on my food. Cause I can go to the produce store and get these massive five pounds of bananas for $2. Oh you my know, God. Three, three pounds of peaches for $2. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. I bring home like an enormous amount of produce for almost no money. And I eat it all in a week. Sometimes I'll lay it out on the table and be like, this is all going to be in my body in the next seven days. <laughs> and it's like, it's like exciting that the produce store has kind of almost become my church. When I go in there and I see all of those beautiful colors and, and shapes and textures, like it, it looks so alive. And if you walk through the uh, refrigerated meat section of a, of a food store, which was again, my life, yeah. you know, it, it does not give me the same feeling. No, it just, I, there, there, you know, there are reasons why human beings have had to eat meat. And the number one is that, you know, it gives you instant protein and keeps you alive in starvation type situations. Um, if you're like, you know, in the wild and you have a cantaloupe before between four people, like it's not enough calories again to keep you alive. If you have an antelope and you cut that between four people, like you might not need to eat a meal for however long, but what's actually good for you is a different story, of course. And, and now we're so, we're so blessed to live in a time where it's readily available and you can have literally produce that's coming from all over the world. So you can have berries in the winter and you can have oranges in the winter and you can have, you know, it's just, it's pretty amazing. So I really like going there. It's very meditative for me. Yeah. I would, I, you know, it's really become kind of like, uh, um, like I said, it's like, it's like my church when I go to the produce store, it's, 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 uh, cause I, 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 it's again, me taking care of myself and taking care of my body and honoring my body, fueling my body. And also not to like wax poetic, but also trying to do my part with helping the earth also. Cause that's not why I did it in the beginning. It was not calling to me. I didn't think about it, but it was impossible to ignore those statistics once I did go down that road. And so again, I don't preach that to people, but I like knowing that I'm also doing something to try and help, um, you know, to help the earth by not contributing to factory farming and, and honestly not even contributing to all of those companies that make these Franken food products that are making us sick and taxing our culture and society as well. Yes, yes, yes. We're not even real humans anymore at some point because all we eat is just chemicals, you know? Some, some, yeah. some really strange made up things of just not healthy 
English. Imagine if somebody like in the 1800s, if you like showed them like, you know, an Oreo, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it looks like a toy. It looks like plastic. Yes. It doesn't look like anything that exists in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Getting you back. Know? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> no. Man, I, I could talk to you for hours because you're so interesting and I love everything you're saying. Um, because those are all important issues. You know, I think that we have to all address everybody everybody i feel everybody's so distracted with politics when there's so many other issues that we need to face and think about like our environment people's health and wellness because that's really the number one at the moment you know get everyone healthy and 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 active and fit and the immune system no for sure you know yeah you're right it could happen to the most healthiest person could get it it can happen but your chances of dealing with it and surviving it are probably a little bit better, you know, versus you being already a person. For sure. As well, we know that that's true because, I mean, people who have, we know that's true because the know. vaccine is being made available to people who have diabetes, who people who have, who have these, these life-threatening health conditions. We know that they're at higher risk. So, yeah, so absolutely. And, and even not just in the wake of the pandemic, but like I said, our, our nation is, is in a is in a crisis and and really honestly this kind of comes back to the whole thing i mean the whole the whole joy bug thing for me um i feel like our our country is like i said we're we're in kind of like a spiritual a spiritual crisis and looking at what you we put in our bodies how we eat is just one aspect of it but somehow we've all gotten caught up in this idea, maybe social media has played a, a role, that we are supposed to live this American dream, which is, in my opinion, kind of become an American nightmare. And we have to, we have to portray that we're, we're doing great and we're happy all the time and, you know, everything, like keeping up with the Joneses and a friend of mine who has this really great house and works his butt off to pay for it, one time said to me, why am I working like 40 hours a week to come home and spend three hours in my house and go to sleep at night and wake up and leave the house again? Like, I don't even live here. I live at my job to pay for the house that I don't even spend time in. That was, I guess, like 10 years ago, he said that to me. And that resonated because I've rented my whole life and I rent little hovels for almost no money because I like to spend my money on traveling. But I, I didn't want to... <clears throat> live like completely like homeless i wanted to have a home which is how Joybug also came to be yes. but i um i just think that it's really important the most important thing like you said is that we get our health under control because even the political issues and the things that you see happening on both sides where you see you know violence and you see um or like the the horrific issue we have with these mass shootings and things that happen in our country uh we can all say that they're the result of you know sick people and mental illness and stuff but i really do feel like there's a cancer sort of like a spiritual cancer in our culture that i from traveling to other places i've seen issues but not like here and i think it just has to do with the fact that um we're kind of insatiably bored but also like sort of um we're insatiably bored, but sort of overstimulated at the same time. And I'm just kind of hoping that, I guess what's important to me is that when I'm living in Joybug, I just want to be an example 
and I take it as like a, a grave responsibility that um, that there's like another way. I'm not saying everyone has to have a trailer and like live on the road, but we don't need to follow these, you know, predetermined rules that were given to us about, you know, what you're supposed to do that you need to, you know, go to college and then you need to like get the job and you need to get married and you need to have a house and you need to have the, a nice car and you need to, and this and this and this and this and you know your whole life is is snatched away trying to follow these rules and i i haven't followed any of these rules and i like i said i've made some mistakes but but ultimately i'm trying to hack life so to speak i just i don't want to be being stuck in sort of this game i never signed up to play i don't know how it's going to go for me but uh, but I feel much safer and more confident knowing that however it goes, that I'll be following my heart and not following some, like I said, set of rules that, and it's a privilege too, that I'm able to do that. I recognize that that's also why I take it as a grave responsibility because I could, if I had been born in a different time, if I'd been born under different circumstances, if, if any of those things were different, um, I wouldn't have the luxury of being able to do that. But I, I do have the luxury, you know, I, I could have been born in any country at any time. I'm born here, I'm free. So am I gonna shackle myself in debt and, you know, in things for what? You exactly. Know? Oh my God, I love everything you're saying. I'm on the same page with that. You know, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like the more you have, not saying that for some people that's great. If that's your dream and you, you can really enjoy your house, you know, I, when I walk around in LA, like I go hiking and stuff and I see these big houses, I'm like, man, I must be nice, you know, have this mansion. But then at the same time, I'm like, but how many rooms could you use? <laughs> you know? Oh man, it does not appeal to me at all. You but know? I see that mansion and I just think like, I just, I, I see the mansion and I just think of how much upkeep and hassle <laughs> and problems. Exactly. And, you know, and then, and then I'm thinking, I want to go and travel. So I would probably not even be there that much. And so it's, it's just like, yeah, there's an attraction, but at the same time, having the freedom and you saying that you've made mistakes, I think that all, everything we do that is a mistake leads us to something greater. And it's obvious in your life, you know, Joy Buck probably would have never happened. Like, you know, uh, and the story sure. of Joy Buck, you know, and how you probably would have given up. You would have said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like, I, I can't do this. I can't repair it. I can't, I don't know how to do this. So just instead you're like, fuck, I, I, I'll figure it out. You know, it may take yeah, you. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> but you're doing it. You know, you could have easily said, "Oh, I need someone, a man, or whatever, to help me and make this happen." And oh, and, yeah. and maybe you get some help, but at the same time, you you just figuring it out. And that's what how what life is all about. You know, you you yeah. put up an obstacle or like a roadblock, and you say, "I'll figure it out." And even you saying you're privileged to to grown up in the time you grew up in but still you made this happen you made you you get the job that you have right now to make the money to afford what you're doing and so right. i think that's all of, it's all you doing what you have to do to yeah to, to live the life you want to live and that's i think that is winning right there more so than being stuck in an amazing house that you don't even get to enjoy <laughs> you know no I completely agree and I I also think about that with my career because you were saying in the beginning of our talk about corona and how that's impacted artists like us and um I'm not gonna lie like it certainly hasn't been an easy time of it with all of my jobs being canceled but I'm still so grateful that since 
I was 18 years old, I've been, I've only been a professional musician and I have made a living playing music my whole life. And that, that is something that I'm really, really proud of, you know, because it's not an easy thing to do. And yeah, there are other things I could have done or things I could have done that would have been more profitable, but, but I'm so, I'm so grateful that that's what I'm doing with my life. And I just want to continue making art. And I, I've really, since this whole thing happened with my ex have moved towards wanting to make beautiful things. I'm not really interested in giving a lot of attention to dark things anymore. Um, I just want to make beautiful things because, yeah. you know, uh, the world needs that. Yes. Um, you know, it does. It's, it's like a crying, weeping world. It's just, it needs to be reminded of the beautiful things that are around us every day, everywhere. And now that I understand, like, that's my purpose and my calling and that I cannot give myself entirely away to, to, to a person and expect to be able to use my gifts anywhere else. It's like, I only have limited number of resources, spiritual, mental, physical resources. And I learned that lesson. So when she's done, you know, I just want to focus on, like I said, I'm going to traveling and meeting people, but also I've had a lot of already opportunities, people asking me to come and speak, um, not just at Airstream rallies, but also at, you know, women's groups and organizations. Um, and I, I've been a writer my whole life, really, before I was a songwriter, I was a writer. So I want to write a memoir that kind of tells the story of of me restoring this trailer, which is a saga all in and of itself. I mean, if you knew the ins and outs of what I've gone through with this trailer and how many times the people in the Airstream community, how many times they've seen me go through something with this trailer where I should have walked away and quit. I mean, huge obstacles. But I wanna, I wanna sort of tell the story of the restoration and flash back to the story with my ex and sort of like have them merge together at the end um, and tie it in, you know, the restoration of self with this and how it led one led to the other. So as soon as the project's done, I'm just gonna move into my next giant project, which is writing a book, but love that's how I roll. <laughs> I so love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I could talk to you like forever because there's just, you know, <laughs> well, you, you have basically <laughs> you travel, you all your travels and stuff. I just, I just love that. You know, you're such a gypsy soul, and that's what this is all I have, about. Yeah. Did you, have you done a lot of travel? I mean, I tra I've traveled to, um, I guess, I guess it's like 25 different countries now at this point, and I go as you like you said as a solo solo female, but I haven't been anywhere obviously since Corona, but. Um, but have you done have you done a lot of traveling yourself? You know, I don't know about it was twenty five countries, but yeah, I've been like certain parts in Europe. Um, I've been to almost all the states in America, um, if that counts. <laughs> I I haven't been almost I haven't been to many states in America, so you got me on that. And I'm yeah from yeah Europe not so much. I've been to Poland. I've been to Switzerland. Switzerland. I've been to um, Denmark. I've been yeah uh, Italy, France, um, England. Yeah, a few, but I, I haven't been like to Asia. I still want to go to Asia. I want to go to- I want to go to Asia too. Um, <laughs> I want to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's still, I mean, I want to go everywhere. I want to see the entire world if possible. Yeah, I know, I'm the same know? way. You know? I'm the same exact way. Because I, I love different cultures and like you said, meeting new people. And, and that's the thing, when you're an open person, I have never ever experienced any bad uh, 
you know, people like they say in France, they were saying, oh, they're all unfriendly, whatever. And oh my God, we had them. Everyone was always helpful. Like, you know, we don't speak French and I just know a few words. I didn't have that experience in France either. In fact, when I was in, I was in Tel Aviv and I met a French girl um, when I was in Tel Aviv and she and I, I, I barely spoke any French and she barely spoke any English. And we ended up hopping a bus the next morning. We went to Jerusalem and Bethlehem together. We ended up high. We ended up in a taxi with a driver. We went to Jericho and the Dead Sea, spent three days in each other's company. And she's like a dear friend of mine now, French girl. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't buy into any of those things. It's not like stereotypes don't exist for a reason, but I just kind of throw them aside. Just each person that you meet, you know, starts with a clean slate. Exactly. And let them show you who they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also what you put out, you know, if you, if you're open sure. and, and a nice person and a willing person to just like tolerate and accept other people that there's always, there's so much beauty. Like you mentioned earlier, there's so much love and beauty out there that when you really allow it to come in, it's there and it will come in, you know? I've never, like you said, I've never had a, I've really never had a bad experience either traveling abroad. And a lot of folks were always worried about me traveling abroad that it wouldn't be safe, but I'm actually much more nervous about traveling in Joybug in the US than I am my travels overseas. Um, but that's just something I think that comes from looking at the, at the States through the eyes of other nations you know what i mean i love my country i mean i love my country but i'm just saying that um there's a misconception among americans that the world is like a really dangerous place the, the us is, is very dangerous and we yeah. and we and we live here and and coexist and no one would think you know anything about you know taking a trip to another state and so um but but overseas even like i said through the middle east i i never felt as unsafe as i did like driving to Camden or driving like you know to some of the neighboring towns here in Jersey that are really really um you know high crime cities so um but I do think like you said the energy you bring you know the energy you bring to to a situation is is really important and I am really really open and make friends really easily and and so it makes it makes travel just a joy because you can you can find kindred spirits everywhere and that's what we're meant to do i believe that you know i truly believe we are meant to share our gifts and experiences and uplift one another you know and enjoy enjoy life i mean while we have it <laughs> you know absolutely you know we were not meant we were not meant to sit in cubicles and pay bills all day and die like no. we were not meant to that was not what we were meant for but i know that i'm like i'm being a little like dreamy eyed right now but i'm just saying that i I've made a lot of sacrifices and the people who love me have watched me put myself in really uncomfortable situations for this dream. If I didn't believe as firmly as I do in living this way, I would have caved a long time ago because I was not in comfortable living situations the last few years. I lived in a boarding house. I rented a, a room from a couple and it was a very tense situation. I didn't live like any type of normal person in their 30s. And I did that so I could pour all my money into this restoration because I believe in it so much. But, um, but everything comes, you know, with a price, and I was I was willing to pay that price for the freedom that you and I are are talking about. And because what I do for a living is is something I can do anywhere. Um, my hope is that when I'm on the road to just work two seasons a year. And just work really hard and the other two seasons to just be off and just be creating 
that. And what could you really ask? I mean, what could you possibly ask more out of life than something like that? I mean, that's just, it's, it's ideal, you know, it's, it's, I get excited thinking about it and sad that I'm not doing it yet. <laughs> You're well on your way. You're well oh God. Well, you know? from your, from your mouth to God's ears, I don't know. <laughs> it's still a show, but I mean, yeah. we're, uh, but we're going there, but I didn't even tell you, you know, with the Airstream that a lot of people don't realize that um, there's been really uh, intentional design choices with everything. And what I've been doing is creating the interior um, everything in there is reflective of someplace I've been, someplace I've traveled. So the trailer has these copper walls and the copper walls, um, well, they're actually anodized aluminum, but they look like rose gold copper. And I chose them because they reminded me of the buildings that, um, the way the buildings lit up when I was in Positano in Italy at sunset. So it reminds me of, of that. And I also love it because depending on the weather, the, the walls look like flaming orange or they look like very dull pink. And so the trailer feels kind of alive. And then the porthole I explained to you, um, the, the trailer has a blue floor that looks kind of like an ocean or like water. And I chose that because it reminded me of the blue lagoon in Iceland when I traveled through Iceland by myself. And then um, the ceiling hasn't been revealed yet, but I'm doing this fiber optic star ceiling, which reminds me of when I was in, I was on Maui um, living with some Hawaiians and they took me to the top of Haleakala and we saw this unbelievable sky. Um, and then the, the ceiling is painted, gonna be painted to look like um, clouds and seagulls to remind me of the Jersey shore. So like everything is- Aww. Um, kind of like a little world inside a world. Um, oh, so, I love this. Yeah, oh God. I love it too. It's gonna. It's. I really want everything to have a lot of meaning and symbolism, and um, I just hope nothing ever happens to the trailer. Like I said, so I'm not gonna be okay. Uh, I don't even want to think that way. When I'm not even. On yeah, the don't don't think about that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know. And I of course. This little, this little person, this little cat is coming with me. She's going to be my co-pilot. Absolutely, yes. Travel cat. Yes. We'll see how that goes. For as long as my dog is alive, I, I'm not going to go anywhere without him anymore. You know, that's not going to happen. So. No, yeah. she's going to be the best little travel cat. And I'm, I'm already like planning in my design space for her litter box and a shelf for her to, a little perch for her to sleep on and. Oh and uh yeah it's gonna be awesome you inspire me so much i now i'm gonna like look and and get my van going for the van life because you have to show me i i i, I haven't so i was in in, in uh, michigan for the summer and i saw like all these campers and vans and i was like ah oh, this is cool but this is too big you know because if it's too big then i you know it's gonna be hard to like travel with yeah. it and so i i haven't yet decided what would be perfect exactly for me for me and bald um so i still i'm i still have to do my research on that but i know that i'm leaving my place here in la um i came back and i just wanted to finish some work but i'm like time to go so so end of feb uh, february yeah well, february i'm leaving i'm letting it go kind of before me letting it all you know yeah exactly letting it all go time to let it go and it's hard sometimes because we, we think that, oh my God, I need that, that, you know, 
one place that I can call my home, but really, as long as I have a car, I'm good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, you, so you, you want some kind of like, you want some kind of mobile home that you're going to live in? Yeah, that I can travel with, live in, and have my little studio set up in, you know. Um, I like the idea of what you're doing. I like the idea of really making it your home, putting your heart into it, and your, your work, yeah. because then it's so much more meaningful than just- And you have a home, which is like- It's your home. Yeah, like we're, we're geared as humans to like want a home. Yeah. It's just this concept of roots and wings. Like I wasn't sure how to strike that balance, but- I think by creating a home that has wheels that I will have that balance. Like, you know, I don't want to sleep in hotels and motels and Airbnbs. Like I need my bed and pillows and I need, and also I'm building a music, a little tiny music studio on the back of it. Yes. So I need that. I need to be able to play music and record music and write. And yeah. Oh, I think that's a good thing to do. You know, if you have a truck, you could get a fifth wheel. They're really roomy, like way bigger than my Airstream, but you could build a definitely easily build a whole house there. But if you want something smaller, you could do like a pop up camper or something. Or if you're into van life, there's of course a huge community of van. Yeah, players. I followed them, and this it's just overwhelming. Like I have to really spend more time on that. I, I have a Facebook group, and it's just amazing how some people just like really make yeah. it happen. You know, the vans are some of those vans are. Be I mean, the van's too little for me. I just don't think I could go quite that small. This is a person who's willing to live in 150 square feet, but a van seems even too small for me but some of these some of these sprinter vans that they remodel are they're so gorgeous yeah they are um i think that's what i'm still struggling with trying to figure out the size which is would it's like makes sense but yeah i love it tell people where they can find you oh yeah okay so i have a facebook group called the joy bug journey so you can just you can just put that in like facebook search engine yeah. and that'll pop right up I'll, I'll, I have, I'll leave all that on the bottom. I'll, I'll write it. Oh, okay, cool. I have an Instagram uh, account, catch the joy bug, catch the joy bug, and also a website, catch the Awesome. Basically the joy bug journey or catch the joy bug is how you're, how you're going to find me. Um, if you put either of those in probably with Facebook or Instagram, Instagram or my website are going to, okay. going to pop up. And that's how they can find your music as well. It's all under one umbrella. Uh, well, good question <laughs> um not really i mean <laughs> uh i have well i mean on my website on my website um catch the joybug.com uh i definitely have my music there for sale okay good. Uh, so you can you can buy it there but it's also on itunes um my the first four albums that i released are just under my first name so you would just put in a n as in nancy a n j and then you would you would look up the different albums. The thing that's become a little tricky about that is that there's another ANJ, which is like this death metal rock band. And every time <laughs> people put in ANJ and iTunes, they pop up and they never find me. So oh, it's better to like look up my albums. So if yeah. you're putting information at the bottom, some of those albums are um, The Giant Unquiet, When Gray Blushes, Evergreen, uh, Coin and a Half Girls. Those are all the albums I did under that name. And I'm in the process right now of creating a brand new album, actually, which we never talked about the fact that I went back to writing music, but I yeah. did. That's the next throttle. podcast. That's the next one. Yeah. <laughs> so you can, I'm going to have a new album and I have a Patreon channel also, um, which is just patreon.com and then my first and last name. 
Um, but on Patreon, it's like my little exclusive community where people support the joy bug journey as well. Awesome. Oh my God. Yes. Follow her. I, I mean, thank you so much. You, you are such an amazing person and so inspiring and just such, such light and, and love, you know, I I can, I, I can feel that like, and, and just the fact, you know, everything you've done, like you give you everything all the time. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're finally giving to yourself, you know, and, and that, yes. that you've become really, you know, this, this lotus that's just. Oh, lotus. I love awesome, that. You know, so that's, that's beautiful. That's my next tattoo. <laughs> but, it's uh, so funny you just said that because I suddenly just thought that that might be a really cool name for my next album. There you go. You might've just, you might've just given me the, the name for it. Yes, do it. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I know you've given me way more time. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's no problem at all. I just, came uh, from, I just came wow. in from a gig before I, ca- I called you and I just, I'm going to feed this little sleeping cat. Yes. So she's yes. me up all night. And yes. Then, and then turn in. It's later here than it is there. So we will be following you and hopefully our paths will cross in, in person sometime i hope so i want to come back to the rally like next yeah. year i feel like that i also need to do that just to like complete the whole circle i know right yes you yeah. know it's like i feel like i need to come back at least once just to yeah complete the circle and play yeah. at the open mic. play at the open mic and play that, that those new songs yes yeah for sure all right girl you take right. care and we'll see you very soon okay <laughs> okay take care bye okay. thanks bye thank you bye As always, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I know there's so many things you could be doing with your time. There's so much going on all the time. It never stops. So I really appreciate you and I really hope you enjoyed it. And I always say this, don't be afraid to connect with my guests. You know, there might be a new collaborator for you. Um, Who knows, you might become best friends. So it's very important for us to just really connect and stay in touch. Um, Also want to point out, In the description below, you will find the links about my guests so you can follow them, support them in any way you want and can. And also, if you would like to follow me, I am on Patreon, patreon.com, Jacqueline Van Bierk. I have my clothing line, Jack Van B. So definitely check that out. This is my apocalyptic shawl that is like very breathable. And I have the same thing as a sun protective shawl without the hoodie. Um, Different, few different choices. And I also have music on JacquelineVanBierk.com and AutosDaughter.com. And as always, enjoy life and just do you and know that you are enough and that things will always turn out as long as you believe. With that said, you have an amazing weekend and I will talk to you next Friday. And if you like what you hear, please share and please subscribe and please like. You have an amazing weekend and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.